0: The word of the Lord is flawless, and his ways are perfect. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Let us listen to the word of God and hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. In your immersed Bible, turn to page 240. We will be reading Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, or follow along on the screen behind me. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Please pray with me. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
1: Is that better? There we go. My bad. Have you ever done something in your life and you look back and you think, what was I doing? What was I thinking? When I was in seventh or eighth grade, our family, we were on vacation in Colorado and uh, we were headed back. And usually we would take I-70 down up to Salina and then go north to Concordia, go over to Clyde and go to the back of the family farm. But on this particular trip, we decided to take a detour. Our uncle and his family had asked us to join them in western Kansas down by Monument Rocks. And now we had never been to Monument Rocks before. Maybe some of you have. Uh, it's a great place. Well worth the trip. Here's a, a photo of it. And uh, when we were my uncle wanted us to see it, so we parked our cars and we walked over to the rocks and back then you could actually climb on the rocks. I don't think you can now because of just erosion and all that stuff so th- we could climb on the rocks and we climbed around for a while. Our parents went back to the cars and then they kind of honked the horn and said, hey, it's time to go. Uh, so everybody jumps off the rocks except for me. I wanted to kind of hang out as long as I could squeeze the most out of this adventure, you know kind of uh, just climbing around the rocks and and uh, and I came to the ledge uh, of getting ready to jump down about four or five feet. I jumped, hit the ground and behind me. I heard a, a buzzing, like a rattling noise. And I looked behind me and of course there was a rattlesnake coiled up and just looking at me and I was looking at him. And and my first thought was, I want those rattles. So so I climbed up onto the ledge again. And I grabbed a big rock about the size of, you know, a big plate about this size, and I thought, I'm going to throw it down onto his head. I'll collect the rattles. I'll have a trophy. So, so that's what I did. I climbed, up, I climbed up there. I got the rock, and I threw it down, and I missed, which did not make him happy. So, so he began to kind of skirt around and go, go as fast as he could towards the grass, which is about 20 feet away, and there was a period of, of dirt that had been worn down by all the people walking around. And I thought, I have to get there before he gets to the grass. Otherwise, I'll never have these 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 rattles. Now, now, kids, do not try this at home. Okay? I'd already shown really poor judgment, but you have to give me some slack. I was about a 13 or so year old boy. And and science tells us that males brains are not formed until they're 25. So I was basically literally a half brain. Okay? so so I grabbed the rock and I I began to run after the snake. And and I got up next to him, and he looked at me, I looked at him, and I just threw it down as hard. This time I hit my mark. Land on his head. I jumped onto the rock, and I jumped up and down until he stopped moving. And then my parents showed up. They heard all this yelling and everything. I was excited, of course. And they show up, and they were horrified. I think my dad was secretly proud of me. (laughs) But my mom was horrified. What are you thinking? You're an idiot. You could have been bitten and... But my dad knelt down with his pocket knife. He cut off the rattles and they sat in a jar in my bedroom at home for many, many years until my mom finally got sick of seeing them and she threw them away. (laughs) Isn't that what we do often as human beings? We, we, We see something, we think we want that. It's a good idea and we pursue it without thinking, even though that very thing could hurt us or harm us or perhaps even kill us. It's kind of the human condition isn't it? We want the very things that are not good for us and we pursue them without thinking about it. There's something just built into us that drives us to do that at times. You know, today we're concluding our, our sermon series, Immersed, in which we've been reading through the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, which means five books. It literally means five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And each week we've been looking at certain themes and stories from our readings. And I want to congratulate those of you who have been able to read through all the five books or maybe you read portions of it. And I know there are parts that are kind of tedious, you know, or or uh, a little bit confusing or perhaps even disturbing. But we must remember when we read parts of the Old Testament that that time in history and culture was very, very different than our time today. But it doesn't mean that it's not relevant to us, because because as we read through it, there is so much, so much that we can identify with. I mean, you have these families that are dysfunctional, you have people who are jealous, envious, people who are angry, have an anger problem, people who struggle with doubt about what's God doing and why doesn't he show up. We, we see betrayal, we see redemption, um, we see miracles happen, and we gain insight into the human condition. And we gain an understanding about God, our creator, and and his plan and his purposes for us as his people. And many of these stories, they point to the future, uh, which foreshadow what Jesus was going to do when he came to earth as one of us, right? And so in this Old Testament story we're digging into today, in Numbers 21, uh, out of this this snake story, it's a story that Jesus himself quotes later on in the New Testament. We're going to get to that after a little bit. So if you don't like snakes, I'm guessing that's most of you. I thought about bringing a snake and kind of throwing it out, but I didn't think that would go well or a plastic snake or something. I used to do that to my sister. She hated it. But but if you don't like snakes, just imagine being in this situation. You're in the desert and you're surrounded by snakes. They're venomous snakes and there's no modern medicine. There's no anti venom. There's no painkillers. You don't have a shotgun or a big machete and these snakes, they're they're biting people and people are getting sick. And, and and they're dying. So like remember Snakes on a Plane, that Oscar award-winning movie. You know, snakes on a Plane. So so they're being surrounded by these snakes, and people are being bitten, and they're dying. Now remember, the Book of Numbers was written to record what happened to the people of Israel when they were wandering around the desert for forty years after they got out of slavery in Egypt. And this this snake story in Numbers 21 it takes place toward the end of this forty-year period. And it's the last of the five, what are called the grumbling stories in numbers, the grumbling stories. uh, you probably guess what this is about. They're called that because the people of Israel would throw a fit. They would complain about something. They They would be in a bad mood about something. I mean, they've been wandering around the desert for 40 almost years at this point. They've been living in tents and they keep eating the same thing over and over. The menu is always manna, manna, manna. We don't know what it was. Probably Brussels sprouts or something like that. I don't know. I like Brussels sprouts, but it's some sort of bread, probably. It's and it's and, and they're like spoiled children who are not grateful for what they have, and so they complain. Now manna, we don't know what it was, but it was a gift from God. It was God's provision to them. Uh, the food in the desert is scarce. And yet the people they rejected this gift. They said it wasn't good enough, it wasn't sufficient. They wanted something different. You know, that's the root of a lot of our sin, isn't it? This attitude, what you've given me, God, your will for me, your provision for me, it's, it's not good enough. You got it wrong. What I have in life is not enough. I know better what I need. So I'm going to complain. I'm going to throw a fit. I'm going to tell God that he does not know what he's doing. We're going to, in other words, we rebel. And the people of Israel, they do that. They have the choice to do that. God gives us free will. They can choose their attitude just like we can choose our attitude. But there are consequences, the scripture shows, us to a continual rebellion against God. and, And ultimately, the ultimate consequence is separation from God is death. And just like in Genesis 3, where a snake and a lack of trust in God combine to bring death to humankind, so they do again here in Numbers 21. Now, the good news is that God is a gracious God. The Bible tells us he's long suffering. He's patient. He loves to offer mercy and grace and help in time of trouble to his people. But there is one thing, it seems, that God doesn't tolerate very well. It's one of his pet peeves as you look at Scripture. And that pet peeve is ingratitude. It's it's ungratefulness. I mean, God has delivered these people from slavery. He's helped them out of tough spots time and time again. He's provided um, food in the desert where food is scarce. And yet, in spite of this, the people grumble. It's so easy in life, isn't it, to focus on what we do not have, on what other people have, what we think we need, to have a glass-half-empty perspective, to not be grateful for how God has helped us and provided and blessed and delivered us. That's what was going on here. So God does something to get their attention. He does something to adjust their attitude. Snakes show up. People begin to get bitten and they begin to die. And the Israelites who rebelled against God, they, they had bitten the very hand that was feeding them, God's hand, and now, ironically, they're being bitten back. And in this story, we learn something about our human condition, and how we can be saved. And we, we, we understand here from the scripture that, that we are to confess our sin and acknowledge our need. And that's what the people of Israel do here. They're, they're, they're complainers, they're chronic complainers, but they're not clueless. And so people are dying and getting bitten and they come to their sins and they go to God, go to Moses for help. Verse 7. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So the people turn to God and confess their sin, their wrongdoing, and then they ask for help. And God mercifully responds. God will always respond when people come to him sincerely asking for his intervention, for his mercy and for his help. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, why did God choose to deliver the people of Israel in this way? It seems kind of odd. A bronze snake on a pole. I mean, isn't there this in, injunction this this law about not making graven images and in idols and this and that? Why did God choose to deliver his people this way? He could have just waved his hand over them and. The snakes could have disappeared. They could have been healed. He could have sent giant birds from the sky or a flood or something to get rid of the snakes. He didn't. He could have said, make a big offering and sacrifice. Humble yourselves before me. Why this method? Were they saved by looking at a bronze snake or was he pointing them to something else? Let's take a look now at the passage in John chapter 3 where Jesus applies this passage. It's John chapter 3, and and we find a man named Nicodemus. And I'll I'll pick it up in verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling party or council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So we got this guy. He's a Pharisee, which was a party of people who were against Jesus. They were opposing Jesus. They tried to discredit him in front of the people. People were being drawn to Jesus and his teachings, his character, his, 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 who he was, and, and they can't have that. And so uh, they tried to discredit him. And Nicodemus, he was one of those guys, but he cannot deny. He cannot deny what his ears are hearing and his eyes are seeing. And so he goes to Jesus, but only at night, so he won't be seen. Verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anybody be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirits. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now, Nicodemus at this point is confused. He doesn't know what Jesus is talking about. We've heard this many times, many of us. uh, But this was his first hearing. And so Jesus knows he's confused. And and Jesus says, you must be born again. You must uh, have a spiritual birth uh, you must have a spiritual awakening where God's Spirit makes you a new person, a new creation, gives you new life because you believe. But Nicodemus still doesn't get it. Verse 9 How can this be? You are Israel's teachers, said Jesus, and you, do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of God. And then Jesus makes it crystal clear. So Nicodemus cannot miss what he's teaching. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus takes the story of the snakes in Numbers 21. He applies it to himself. He says, just like, just like the bronze snake was lifted high on a cross, so will I be lifted high on a cross. He says, just like the people were saved from death by looking at the bronze snake, so will people be saved by looking at me on the cross. You know, it's interesting to note that the uh, the symbol for the American Medical Association is called a caduceus. It's the symbol of these two snakes intertwined on a pole. And it's meant to communicate that regardless of whether you can speak the language, that whenever you see that symbol in a hospital, in a doctor's office, at a pharmacy, that that is a place where you can find healing, where you can find help, where you can find a a cure. And that's what the cross of Christ is. It's a symbol of healing healing. Of help, of the cure for sin, of the like, symbol of salvation, a place where when we look and look up at Christ on the cross, we can be saved. So the story tells us the people of, of Israel, the snake is fashioned. They look up and they're saved. But what if, what if they hadn't? What if instead they looked down? at the snakes, the predicament, the problems around them? What if they'd chosen not to take the avenue that God had given them to be healed, to be saved? They would have perished. So going back to the medical field for a moment, how are you saved when you're bitten by a poisonous snake and venom is coursing through your body? If I'd been bitten when I was a kid, my parents would have taken me to the hospital, right? They would have given me anti-venom. And anti-venom is created how? By using the very venom of a snake. The very thing that could kill you is turned against itself to save you, which is what Jesus did to sin on the cross. The very thing that could and would kill us, that courses through our veins, that causes us to do things and say things and think things that we know aren't right, the very things that condemn us, Jesus did to sin. He took those things. He he took it upon himself himself. And he turned sin and Satan and death against itself on the cross so that we could be saved. Which is what Paul confirms for us in Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. We we owe God because of our sin. Which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So the good news is that there is a cure for sin. We can be healed, we can be saved. But the first step, of course, is accepting the the diagnosis. And the diagnosis is that we have all been bitten by sin, and unless treated, that sin will lead to death. And despite all the medical advances and technology that we have, we cannot manufacture a cure. And we have tried. We have tried. No matter how hard we try, no matter how good we are in comparison to others, we cannot avoid the consequences of sin. Death and separation from God. Romans 3 says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the consequence, it says, is the wages of sin is death. And yet today in Numbers 21 in John 3, we hear the good news that what the Old Testament was pointing to the whole time, that what these ancient books are setting the scene for is the coming of Jesus. And the good news that on the cross took all of Satan intended to harm us with sin, death, separation from God. Jesus took it all upon himself. He nails it to the cross as he hangs there for us. And Jesus says, all, all who look to me, who look to Jesus, who look to the cross, all who do so and believe will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your love for us, and for your word. And Lord, we thank you that um, that you are God who who intervenes when we call out to you, that you have made a way for us to to be saved from sin and and death. Lord, we confess that so often we um, we try to find ways to save ourselves. We rationalize. We justify. Um, we compare ourselves to others. But, Lord, um, we know that um, our condition is terminal unless we put our trust in you. So, Lord, we look to Jesus high and lifted on the cross. We thank you for the, the way that you have provided for us. And, Lord, we just, uh, we, we just keep our eyes focused on you. Uh, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Uh, we offer ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.